You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Bill Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, we cover all the issues. And like that dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it is uh, March the 8th, which would, oh, this is a this is a Wednesday. Boomer's on the board. Hit it, man. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. <laughs> Guess what day it is. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. <laughs> Love it. Always good. Always, Always good. good. It makes Wednesdays. Uh, it's camel day. It's hump day. It's halfway through the week. Congratulations to all of you. You have made it. You have made it halfway to the weekend. So anyway, uh, congrats to you. And uh, Boomer, we may have to play the uh, camel later in the show, too. Oh, I think so. I just have the feeling we almost caught some people off guard. Like, they weren't even ready for the camel yet. They, didn't. they weren't. They forgot it was Wednesday. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good thing we reminded them. Yes. All right. Hey, listen, we got a great show laid on for you. Uh, Four o'clock today, the Grand Council. Today, my brethren, Jeff, I mean, uh, Dale Dale Jackson had to uh, bow out. So uh, Sean Sullivan, who who has a show called Midday Mobile down in Mobile at uh, FM Talk 106.5, he'll be on the uh, show with us along with Jeff Poor, Grand Council, coming up at four o'clock today. You're going to want to hear it. So there's that. And then I got a triple dipper full of stuff. Hit it, man. The Triple Dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right. The Triple Dipper. Three stories, three themes, if you will, that you have got to know as we run today's show. Number one, war with Mexico. By the way, I did not put a question mark on the end of that. War with Mexico. Is it possible? I mean, is it possible at the very least that we would have military action on on Mexican soil? You know, it's a question. It's worth talking about. I think we need to debate it. Uh, We're there. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Number one of the Triple Dipper, war with Mexico. Number two, the state of the state. So last night, Governor Ivey delivered her state of the state of speech. First impressions coming out today. Uh, And I will give you all the skinny on what she said and didn't say in her state of the state address. And uh, that's coming up number two on the uh, Triple Dipper. And then number three, COVID aftermath. So, yeah, it's amazing to me that we still have things happening that, you know, people are still wearing masks in certain places and it's proven that it didn't work. We still have some policies like uh, why is it that an international tennis star can't come play in Florida of all places? And we'll cover it. The COVID aftermath. And are there investigations and who's going to find what? We'll, We'll discuss that in detail, number three on the Triple Dipper. But let me move over to my comments for the day. And I, and I got to tell you, this is going to segue right into the first part of the Triple Dipper on the war with Mexico. And, and, you know, there's an old saying, and I believe it's true, that sometimes truth can be stranger than fiction. I mean, really strange, in fact. How, how many times have we seen things come to pass that were the subject of fictional accounts? Like George Orwell's book, 1984, comes up in discussions all the time now. But if you want to have some fun, go online and Google things like things from Star Trek that came true. You just do it. Just Google it. Things from Star Trek that came true. You'll find a list. 
Here's another one that sort of has a cult-like following in terms of what came true. It was that campy movie from the early 90s, Demolition Man. You ever seen that one? Stars Sylvester Stallone, Sandra Bullock, and Wesley Snipes. Um, The movie takes place in the future, and whole articles have been written about the things that have already come true from its crazy dialogue and scenes. Truth, being stranger than fiction, is is a thing, y'all. What got me started on this, though, is the news cycle regarding Mexico right now. So I'll unpack this more in the next segment, but suffice to say, I was caught up by news that there is a growing discussion about the possibility of U.S. military action against Mexican drug cartels, something that if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I've been saying it's about time to do. It all stems from the brutal and very violent kidnapping and murder of American tourists just last week in the Mexican state of Tamaulipas, a news story that cannot be ignored. And in the wake of that story, which has developed into two of the four members of a group of friends who just ventured across the border for no other reason than just personal choice, we now have a story that finally has the Mexican government scrambling. Yeah, the Mexican government is in oh-crap mode right now at the office of El Presidente Obrador right now. And as I watch the news and prepare for today's show, it made me think back to another movie that may turn out to be, you know, truth playing out in a manner that's stranger than fiction. So the movie I'm talking about, though, is Act of Valor. I know Boomer says he's seen it. Act of Valor. It came out in 2012. It made waves because of the manner in which it was made. Act of Valor is a fictional story, ostensibly, and it follows the actions of a team of Navy SEALs. The action scenes, I kid you not, the action scenes are some of the best in modern warfare-related movies, but the acting is terrible. It just is. The acting is terrible. But it's terrible only because most of the main characters are not actually actors. They were nearly all actual Navy SEALs whose real names don't even appear in the credits. Like I said, the action scenes were epic. Small boat extractions, airborne insertions, submarine link-ups, firefights that were extremely convincing using tactics that, you know, didn't make me cringe because of their Hollywoodized lack of authenticity. And put it on your surround sound, you may have your neighbors calling to check on you. And in one of those stranger-than-fiction kind of pieces... I realized last night that one of the main characters who they simply call Senior Chief, Senior Chief in the movie is now is an actual Navy SEAL who now serves in Congress. I follow him on social media. It's Congressman Derek Van Orden. All right, so what's the deal? Why am I talking about this movie? Because the focus of the movie became a national security issue that wound up in Mexico. Ah, there it is. And yes, the storyline was very realistic. In the movie, an international trafficker of arms and drugs has a link to a Chechen jihadist who has a newly developed and virtually undetectable type of suicide vest. And the story goes in the movie that the southern border is so porous and the Chechen knows it. And so he, de- he develops the means to get his 60 suicide vests into Mexico and he intends to link up with drug cartels to use their tunnels and safe houses to access the United States. His intent? Simply kill as many Americans as he can. His plan? Exploit the porous southern border and synchronize the ability of suicide bombers to blow themselves up at places like sporting events, shopping malls, political rallies, busy train stations, anywhere and everywhere that people are gathered, and do it all over the nation. Fear, mayhem, death, economic shutdowns. His goal is to make it worse than 9-11, and it comes, it comes via international connectivity between terrorists and Mexican cartels and the use of a porous southern border. Well, as you might imagine, the operators from the SEAL team, they wind up in Mexico, and the fight that occurs is epic, and in my opinion, very realistic. And I also believe it may be long overdue. Ask yourself this question. 
If ISIS were to launch a killing spree on U.S. soil, would we sit idly by? If al-Qaeda could pull off another 9-11, would the U.S. simply sit still? The answer is no, of course not. But yet we continue to pretend that the nearly failed state of Mexico was going to somehow make all of this better. In the past few years, the number of Americans who have died just from fentanyl that flooded across our southern border has reached levels never thought of. In just 2021 alone, y'all, in 2021 alone, over 107,000 U.S. citizens died from fentanyl overdoses right here in the U.S. That's nearly 300 a day. That's 35 times more than died on 9-11. That's almost twice the number of U.S. service members who died in Vietnam. In fact, if you took just that one year of fentanyl deaths, just that one year, the number of overdose deaths would exceed the total amount of service members that we lost in Vietnam, the first Gulf War, and the entire 20-year global war on terror combined. This does not even take into account the fact that the toll keeps rising. It's only one year is what I quoted you. It's going on and on. Even here in Alabama, where it was announced just this past week that fentanyl has already killed 100 people in the first two months of the year in one Alabama county, just one of our counties. Well, then consider the other drugs, the human trafficking, the number of terrorist watch list names that have been detained. My friends, the United States population has grown by almost 2% since Biden took office on the illegal border crossings alone. At what point does the southern border move from being a social crisis to a security crisis? Well, I contend we're there now. Now, I'm not so hawkish that I cannot recognize that military action by the United States in Mexico is an extreme escalation. My preference would be to bolster Mexico to rescue itself. But consider this on the lowest possible level. Think of it this way. If you discovered that the neighbor across the street from your house was a violent individual who had a meth lab in his garage, and there was reason to believe that he wanted to harm your family, would you let your child attend a sleepover at that house? Would you sit quietly and hope they would just move away? Or would you put safeguards in place and tell your kids to avoid that house, maybe call the police to ask for assistance? Well, that's where we are with Mexico. Mexico is our failed neighbor whose house is not safe for us to visit. Mexico allows the export of dangerous substances with complete disregard for our citizens. Mexico, at the very least, is a safe haven for people who mean us harm. At the very worst, it is complicit in the harm. So I'd like to see a return to the Mexico of old, a vibrant partner right here in the same hemisphere. But at this point, I'm going to be honest with you, I will not blink if a Tomahawk missile takes out a cartel drug lab or if a special operations team goes down there and captures a cartel leader and brings him back here for justice. Nor will I flinch if I learn that snatch-and-grab missions bring bad guys to justice on both sides of the border. It's that bad, and I'm tired of it. And in my view, we're looking at a situation right now where fiction has become the truth of our day-to-day. And we need to do something about it. And that's a wrap for The Right Side Way. All right, hard words. And I know it. I know it's hard words. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Are we there? Would you would you feel like we have done something wrong if we put a missile in a drug lab in Mexico? Your thoughts. I mean, you're welcome to call in and tell me. 833-687-4448. But I'm going to be honest with you. If this was ISIS doing it, we would have already done something. But for some reason, because it's a drug cartel in Mexico, we sit idly by and just let them rape and pillage our people. Phil Williams... Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid conservative, just plain right. So uh, so Boomer Charlene just texted me and said, I had to miss your monologue today. I said, it wasn't a big deal. Just me, you know, calling for war with Mexico. <laughs> no biggie. No biggie. No big deal just, at all. Just Phil's getting kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of hangry. Have a Snickers bar, Phil. Um, <laughs> hey, new on the text line, shout out to Big Dave from Woodstock. Uh, we're glad big day from Woodstock. We're glad you're on the text line there, buddy. Uh, I had a number of text messages. Let me see what all I got here. What I got here. What's going on here? Uh, Raven from Russellville, uh, Raven from Russellville, uh, a, a, a soft veteran, if I'm not mistaken, a special operations guy. He says, I'm a bit long in the tooth, but nothing would give me more pleasure than giving some Mexican drug dealers and human traffickers a five, five, six ticket to their final judgment. Just saying, (laughs) I, I said, I remember back some years ago. Uh, when the commander of special forces, the SF commander, uh, said his preference was five five six diplomacy, he called it five five six diplomacy. Gotta love it. Um, yeah, I got some. I got some rowdy people out there in ruffian land, man. I'm going to tell you, there's some people ready to take the high ground, or for that matter, the low ground, whatever it is. Uh, Ike from Somerville just says, "Nuke them till they glow, then shoot them in the dark. Problem solved." <laughs> nice. Uh, Frank from Huntsville texted in says our government puts out warnings to Americans about the Mexican cartel and going into Mexico, but we have the most relaxed border policies I could ever remember. True. In fact, I got, I've got an article here in a minute that I'll get into as part of number one of the triple dipper. I mean, but basically the article says is basically put your affairs in order before you go to Mexico. That's that's what it pretty much says. Uh, so yeah, I'll cover that in a minute. Uh, Jeremy from Huntsville, just give me the, uh, the kudos on the, uh, on the opening for the day's show. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. Um, John from Huntsville says, war with Mexico. Should I get my grenade launcher? Sure. John from Huntsville, go right ahead. Get your grenade launcher. Uh, I recommend you not loading it until it's time to go. Um, Adam from the Gator texted in, I guess, because I, what I had said about the fact that the triple dipper today contains a whole section on COVID aftermath. He says, uh, Huntsville hospital still requires masks, a clear example of virtue signaling. Mm, I did not know that. Well, anyway, you want to text in, the number's there for you, 833-687-4448. That's 833-68-RIGHT. That's the uh, phone line. You can call it or text it. If you text it for the very first time, like you've never done it before, like it is truly your first time, tell us your uh, first name and where you're from. And we'll plug you into the system along with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and, and hundreds of people who are now in the text line. It's just, wow. Who's that one from, Boomer? It's... JT. JT from Lacey. JT from Lacey Springs. What did he, what did he send us? It's a it, it's a picture of, of a, a shirt of a t shirt of a t shirt. It's not a gun. It's a high speed wireless communication device. <laughs> <laughs> it gets the message across. Uh, Raven for Russell just chiming in on my five five six diplomacy says Amen. Susan from Elkmont. She says, "Are we sure that with all the arms we're sending to Ukraine, the cartel isn't better armed than us?" You know, I got news. Uh, if you saw the uh, firefights that they were having uh, down there not long ago with the Mexican National Guard, um, there were some serious there was some serious firepower. Now I don't know what they have in terms of you know uh, heavy weapons. Um, I don't know to what extent they have the ability to uh, you know take out aircraft or armored vehicles or whatever else, but they've certainly got it going on when it comes to um, uh, small arms. There's no doubt, no doubt. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, how long do we sit idly by and let this happen? And when I say idly by, I mean, we're sitting idly by, we're doing nothing about it. We, we just had four people, Americans who, you know, 
ill-advised or not, they went down to Mexico with no other purpose in mind than just a personal trip. Uh, apparently, one of the ladies wanted to get a medical procedure down there because it was cheaper, which was an elective procedure that I'm sure she's regretting now. But she and three other friends went down, and two of them were killed instantly. One of them is still uh, nursing a gun wound, and I think she's the only one who is not shot. Um, and they were held captive for several days. What the heck, man? That's right on our southern border. And that's that's just Americans traveling in. What? Not to mention what's happening on our side of the border, which I'll get into in just a minute. So this is this is a legit national security issue. This cannot be considered a social justice issue anymore at all. Disabuse yourself of the idea that this southern border is merely a social justice issue. It is not. I don't care how many times Ocasio-Cortez puts on her fancy white outfit and goes down there and cries by the fence line. It is not a social justice issue. People are dying. And they're not just dying in a little bit. They're dying in droves. And oh, by the way, even if you don't care about U.S. citizens, how about the number of, of immigrants that are trying to get into the country that are dying in the process or being trafficked in the process or being abused or raped in the process or having their, their, their you know, life savings stolen from them in the process? We find babies in the desert that have been abandoned. We find dead bodies on the Rio Grande. One sheriff said that he finds a body nearly daily in the Rio Grande River and in his sector. I'm just telling you, folks, the death toll of having a weak southern border, that alone should be something that causes shame and despair in the White House. At least try. Well, we're going to cover some things here in a minute. It sounds like the Biden administration may actually be changing some of its policies. Woohoo! Is that right? Pray tell. Could it be they're going to, oh, I don't know, reinstitute stay in Mexico? You can't make this stuff up. But unfortunately, you can't make this stuff up. It's real. And truth is worse than fiction right now on the southern border. All right, folks, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. You guys stay tuned. We will be right back. out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right We are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio's solid conservative, just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the beautiful state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way on down south of uh, Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back over to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Boomer, you said you've seen the, the movie Act of Valor, right? 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's a man movie. It is a man movie. And there's a quote in there. I got to go find it again now. Um, you know, he actually, he's, uh, there's a narration of the movie. There was a guy, and he's actually writing a letter, and he's talking to one of the other SEALs who passed away, talking to their son. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, then he, and then he reads him a quote from Tecumseh. I need to go find that again. Ooh. I mean, like, your testosterone just goes up while you watch this movie. But acting was horrible. Yeah, yeah wasn't was a fan of the acting. But no, the those acting. action scenes. But those, yeah, I'm sorry. Cool. like that. They had a they had a hot extract uh, when um, in the early part of the movie when they were rescuing uh, a CIA uh, um, lady who had been captured by the cartels. Oh, uh-huh. and, and then they they had the, the I mean, first of all, it was a running gun battle for a while, but then they had the uh, the swift boats coming in to get them the mm-hmm. uh, the gunboats. They come. The oh. amount of firepower on those small boats. It's just something else. Um, all right. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, great movie, Act of Valor. If you have not seen Act of Valor, made in 2012, uh, the majority of the main characters are actual Navy SEALs who were authorized to be in the movie because their hard skills wound up being more important than their acting skills, which is good because their acting skills were pretty bad. <laughs> but the um, but what was cool, like I said in my monologue a moment ago, last night I'm watching it again to sort of refresh myself on the storyline. Uh, after the lovely Charlene went to bed, and I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, who is that guy? And there's one main character who's kind of like a, a wisecracker, fast talker, really sharp dude who you, you just had the feeling you can't mess with him. His name in, in the movie, he was just, they call him Senior Chief. Well, Senior Chief, when I looked him up, turns out that's Congressman Derek Van Orden now. He's an actual Navy SEAL, starred in the movie. Now he's in Congress. I follow him on social media. I'm like, that's Van Orden? Anyway, very cool. Uh, so if you have not heard the story, a horrible situation, two of uh, four U.S. citizens who went missing last week are dead. Story here on CBS News to update you in case you haven't heard it. Uh, Tamaulipas Governor Americo Villarreal said that there was one surviving U.S. citizen who was wounded. The other one wasn't, but the other two were dead. He said all four were found in a wooden shack where they were being guarded by a man who had been detained. Villarreal, the, uh, the governor, says that they've been moved around by their captors, even moved to a medical clinic at one point, trying to create confusion to avoid efforts to, re- to rescue them. To what end? What were they going to do? Now, we're hearing that the storyline is they may have gotten caught in a crossfire and then just dragged away for whatever reason. But, okay, um, so what else were they going to do with them, though? They kept the dead bodies. They had the one guy who'd been shot, and then they had the female, I believe it was. Uh, her name is Tay McGee. Um, but they're, they're, the two bodies have not yet been repatriated, as far as I know. The, the two living um, survivors are back in the U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price confirmed during a press uh, uh, briefing that the, the two survivors were back here, and they're working to repatriate the remains of the other two. But here's the thing. Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, who they call AMLO, AMLO, President AMLO says those responsible will be found, and they're going to be punished. But then he went on to lament American media coverage of the kidnapping and accused U.S. reporters of sensationalism, saying it's not like that when they kill Mexicans in the United States. They go quiet like mummies. What a stupid thing to say. What an absolutely asinine thing to say, Mr. President. El Presidente is trying to save some face here by sort of implying that it's a dangerous place for Mexicans to be in the United States. How about, no, it's not. How about we have a sort of a rule of law here. We're not perfect, but this is not the place where you would expect armed insurgent-style cartels 
to roam the streets. Says the Mexicans were kidnapped after gunmen opened fire on their vehicle in Matamoros, a border city in northern Mexico. All four people had driven from Brownsville, Texas, to Mexico on Friday in a white minivan. Um, apparently, the, the the one lady was down there for like a, you know, this is this is just, I mean poor judgment, but was down there for some type of a um, elective procedure, like cosmetic surgery type procedure, uh, because she was saving a few thousand dollars by doing it in Mexico, and that didn't work out well. Um, so that's the background for the latest flashpoint in the Mexican border saga. And it's not just the Mexican border, it's Mexico. This is, this is what, I mean, you know, I gave the, I gave the, I gave the pitch earlier that you might want to sometimes stop and think about these things in the lowest possible level. In this case, think of it this way. If your neighbor, if you found out your neighbor had a meth lab in their garage and that they were also violent, and that they also uh, had made you know verbal threats against your family, would you let your kid go across the street and have a sleepover at that house? No. No, you wouldn't. You, you, in fact, if anything, you'd be telling your kids, stay away from there, and oh, by the way, you might confront them, but you'd also probably call the police. And yet, in the big picture, that's what Mexico is to the United States right now. It's that place where... So much of it is a mess. Now, granted, there are wonderful people down there, and I know that. And we need to get back to putting that country into a stable position. But I'm going to tell you, putting them in a stable position does not mean having to just take our idle time while Americans die. So it might mean that we sort of push the point by letting it be known to President AMLO that while he may hate the press, he's going to hate it even more if we have to put a JDAM in the middle of a drug lab. He's going to hate it even more if we have to wind up coming down there on our own accord and start, you know, snatching, grabbing some of his cartel friends and bringing them back to the United States for justice. We, you know, I would just go ahead and say, you know, one name he might want to think about is Manuel Noriega, who was the El Presidente of Panama and is now rotting away in jail. Senator Lindsey Graham, you know, not one known to shy away from being a war hawk. And by the way, I, I'm, am I an army ranger? Yeah. Am I, am, I, am, I, am I good with the idea of military force when necessary? Yeah. Am I asking for war? No. Anybody who's been to war knows you just don't want more of it. But you also recognize that it is a means of foreign policy when all else fails. And when you, when, you, and when you look at, and I've said it on the show multiple times, when you look at the, the broad perspective of how you exert foreign policy and you use the acronym DIME, D-I-M-E, diplomacy, information or intelligence, military and economic, well, all four of those have to be on the table for you to have strong foreign policy. Mexico needs to know that the military option remains an option that we will choose if we have to. We can talk to them about it. We can enlist their support. We can encourage them to do the job themselves. We can provide them aid. We can, we can discuss what kind of trade agreements we're going to have that might benefit their economy without the use of drug cartels. And then we can also tell them, and by the way, tomorrow we're going to blow one up, and we're not going to tell you which one. But tomorrow we're going to blow one up. And then it happens. And, and then they know we're serious. Or for that matter, tomorrow... Uh, 
there's going to be a news headline and you'll get to see it in, in, in pretty much real time. We'll let you know right after it happens. And then we find out the SEAL Team 6 is on the ground and snatched somebody who needed to be snatched and brought them back here, and we had a very public trial. Senator Lindsey Graham, New York Post, has an article dated yesterday. Senator Lindsey Graham said Monday he will introduce a bill laying the groundwork for President Biden to be able to use military force against Mexican drug cartels. Graham, the Republican from South Carolina, was reacting to the kidnapping of four Americans in the border city of Matamoros, two of whom were found dead, and the continued proliferation of dangerous drugs, including highly lethal fentanyl brought into the United States by the cartels. In his words, Graham says this administration has done nothing about it. He said, quote, I'm going to introduce legislation to make certain Mexican drug cartels labeled as foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law and set the stage to use military force, if necessary, to protect America from being poisoned by the things that are coming out of Mexico. Uh, apparently, Attorney General, former Attorney General Bill Barr uh, wrote an op-ed recently that apparently agrees with that position. And he says, it's not just a thing about the hostages. He says, number one, I do everything I could to bring them back. Yes, I do what former President Donald Trump did. I'd put Mexico on notice. If you continue to give safe haven to fentanyl drug dealers, then you become an enemy of the United States. He says, I would tell Mexico, clean up your act or we will clean it up for you. And there you go. But here's what Mexico's dealing with, by the way. We, we talked about this before. I did a, I did a show uh, one day where an entire part of my Triple Dipper was on whether or not the legitimate question can be answered yet as to whether Mexico is a failed state. And they're not. They're not a failed state yet, but they are a failing state. They are a faltering state. Wall Street Journal has a piece that came out three days ago. The headline of it is, The Narco Threat to Mexican Democracy. Now, when you and I go to the polls, you know, about the roughest thing we have is whether or not the uh, polling's station appears to be running well, you know, or whether somebody forgot to bring their photo ID. Well, Wall Street Journal, three days ago, political party officials carted off by armed men in pickup trucks, candidates made to withdraw from election races under death threats, citizens denied the secrecy of the voting booth, gun-toting thugs stuffing ballot boxes, a severed head with open eyes rolled into a polling station on voting day. These are a few of the acts of terrorism allegedly perpetrated by Mexican drug cartels before, during, and after the recent June 6, 2021 local and federal elections in seven Mexican states. There was a large uh, report that was done um, that was put together and hand-delivered to the Organization of American States in Washington in August of 21, and it outlines the coercion, intimidation, terror, and even murder to ensure election outcomes that are favored by the cartels. They don't want anybody to give them any trouble. So what they do is they make sure that everybody knows on election day who the boss really is. It's the cartels. And then they, they face no punitive action for it. And this is happening right now below our southern... This is happening. You can throw a rock to some of the places where this is happening from U.S. territory. And don't think for a second that, well, it's a good thing it happened on the other side of the Rio Grande. It bleeds over. When you have lawlessness at the next house, it happens on your fence line, and then it happens in your yard, and then it touches your house, and that's where we are. All right, well, listen, let's do I do this. Boomer, take me to a break, brother. We'll do that right now. We'll come back and continue this conversation. I can see I got a bunch of texts. I might want to go ahead and review some of those, too. 
what did the Biden administration say it's about to do? Is it going to be putting Trump policies back in place on the border? Holy cow. Y'all stay tuned. I'll tell you. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid conservative, just plain right. Well, you'll be happy to know with regards to the situation in Mexico. Uh, well, I, I say happy, but anyway. Uh, Fox News reports that as of today, the uh, there has been a suspect arrested in Mexico in connection with the kidnapping and murder of those four Americans, um, two of whom survived, uh, but two of whom did not. Um, it says Mexican officials have arrested a suspect in connection with the kidnapping of four U.S. citizens. Uh, his name is Jose Guadalupe. He's 24 years old. He was apparently guarding the house where the cartel members were held, holding them captive. Authorities have not real, revealed whether Guadalupe, a Mexican national, is part of the Gulf cartel, but it is believed that's the cartel that was at play here. I'm trying to see. Yeah. So they say right now that um, Guadalupe is the only person arrested thus far, but there are others who were. There was a video, by the way. If you haven't seen it, there was a video of the vehicle being shot up and the bodies being dragged out of it. Uh, so it was obvious that there was more than one man. All right. Uh, we'll see whether he's going to be the fall guy, the one that the cartels decided to dispose of because they realized they had to get this hot tamale uh, off their plate. Um, here's an article that, golly, man, I, I read this thing. So I'll, I'll tell you. So several of y'all have texted in. Uh, one, Lynn from Knoxville, uh, says, hey, I'm headed to Mexico Friday, Lake, uh, Lake Picachos, uh, bass fishing. Pray for me. Uh, and I said, blessings, Lynn. And I mean that, you know, have a great time, you know, do, do, do have a great time. Um, and, and, you know, Lynn, I, I get it. I mean, you're, you're, you're prior service. You, you've got some, some life experience and, and so blessings on you, my friend. Uh, but, but I'll tell you the travel warnings are in place right now for a lot of Mexico. Uh, Tamaulipas, Mexico, uh, KAR channel 11 out of Texas says two Americans are back and recovering in the U S after a deadly kidnapping that left two others dead. That area, Tamaulipas, it says, is known for having a high penetration of organized crime, so much so that we can't even trust the numbers of uh, violence that come out of there. Uh, the State Department issued a level four do not travel warning for the city of Matamoros. That's right on our border. Listen, listen, that is, that is so close, you could yell from one side to the other, to, from our border to them. That's how close Matamoros is. Matamoros is a border city. And we have a level four do not travel there warning from the U.S. State Department. It's the highest warning they can give, by the way. So, yeah, they recommend, by the way, that if you have to be there, that tourists stay at their resort and don't, uh, don't do anything like attempt to buy drugs on the street or something like that. And they say that your risk factor, this is interesting, your risk factor goes up if you have religious tattoos, flashy jewelry, or are a man in your early 20s or 30s who the cartels often see as rivals. 
The Biden administration has since imposed some sanctions against cartel groups, including the Gulf Cartel, which is the one believed to be at fault in this kidnapping. But get this. There are more than two dozen travel warnings in place, some of which stem from previous years, like the state of Quintana Roo, which is where the popular Cancun uh, destination site is. But here are the tips that they recommend. (laughs) So I look at this and go, what this, what this list that I'm about to read to you says, this list this basically says, if you're going to Mexico, put your affairs in order. When's the last time you heard anybody say that about your vacation destination? I know Boomer's giving me the look. It, it, they're basically saying, so you're going to Mexico. Here's the tips they strongly encourage. Enroll your trip in the State Department's Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. It just tells them that you're there. All right. Draft a will and designate your insurance beneficiaries. <laughs> I kid you not, it's on the list. Discuss a plan with loved ones regarding the care and custody of your children, pets, property, and belongings. Yeah. Share your important documents and login information and points of contact with your loved ones so they can manage your affairs if you are unable to return. This is the list. I'm reading you the list. I'm reading you the list. <laughs> You are. I'm holding the I list see it. right here. <laughs> right there. Hold up the camera. It's highlighted. I'm not Man. even reading all of it. Here's one. Establish a proof of life protocol with your loved ones so that if you are taken hostage, they will know specific questions and answers to ask the hostage takers to be sure that it is actually you and that you are alive and responding. God almighty. And this is maybe my favorite. Leave DNA samples with your medical provider in case it's necessary for your family to access them. DNA samples so they can so if all they find is a finger they can test it to see if it was your finger whoa so if they find pieces of you they can test it to see whether it's really you this is pretty jacked up that's really jacked up all Uh, those honeymooners are going to be doing this who's the honeymooner going down there I don't don't know know. I'm just Uh, saying I I, you know and I, I look back now so gosh when we got back from one of my deployments so we're looking at 2003 or 5 no it's 5 2005, Charlene and I uh, took a trip. We, there's, a, there's a group of, from our church that were all going down to um, take a cruise. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we joined the cruise. We just had some time together. I'd been gone for a year. Just, anyway, and we went down there, and a couple of the friends decided not to do And we, we were fine with this, not to do the, you know, the, the touristy um, scuba outings. You know, oh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 like the excursion it's, type it's, thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's a total debacle when you do those sometimes. And so they, they rented a, uh, a catamaran, and we went snorkeling on our own i'm thinking did we tell anybody we were going out there because man we were out there we were gone we were away 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 i look back on that now and i'm thinking here i am reading a list that says leave your dna samples and make a will good (laughs) lord all right folks we'll come right back and put a lid on this one this is the deal war with mexico at the very least let's change the way we do business how about that phil williams right side radio we will be right back
all you right side ruffians out there. You are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side studios. We got the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international, covering down solid, conservative, and just plain right, like the dude just said. Hey, I'm looking up here on the screens right now, so we're, we're still in number one of the Triple Dip. We're going to wrap it up here in this segment. Uh, war with Mexico? I did not truly put a question mark on the end of that. I think it's time that we consider that military action may be warranted, or at the very least, that we show that it's on the table. Well, both screens on the wall right now, CNN on the left and uh, Fox on the right, that's fitting, um, are both covering the same story. And uh, the Mexican president uh, has announced that there were no U.S. law enforcement on the ground. Apparently, there was some question as to whether U.S. Uh, law enforcement, DEA, or you know some other organization uh, may have been on the ground helping with the rescue of those Americans, and they're saying no, it wasn't. And the Mexican president is mad because some are, in his words, quote, making a scandal out of the kidnappings. Well, it's a scandal, sir. I'm just saying. On your watch, four Americans came over there on a tourist visa, and they were um, two were killed, one was wounded, the other was held captive for several days. This is a scandal, dude. It just whether you like it or not, it just is, and uh, and and so right now we're looking on the right screen, uh, uh, Congressman uh, Vicente Gonzalez, who's a Democrat out of Texas, he is of the mind we've got to do something to act on these cartels, and uh, it's just it's amazing it's it's becoming a bipartisan call, which is interesting because you know there's always that fear of of making your own guy in the White House kind of, you know, look like he's not doing a good job. Well, he's not doing a good job. Um, I will remind you, too, that El Presidente Obrador, AMLO, that he, he, um, he literally stood there with the President of the United States in a press conference when Biden, you know, made his trip down to Mexico City when they had the summit of the, uh, the three Americas, when they had Canada, the United States, and Mexico in a tripartite summit hosted in Mexico just, what, a month or so ago? And as they stood there in a joint press conference, El Presidente Obrador said to the cameras, to President Biden, he congratulated him on being the first president to not build even a meter of wall on the border. Like, I am pretty sure that's going to be in a variety of campaign commercials coming up in the 2024 election cycle. Just saying. I am almost positive you are going to see somebody pull up archived footage of President Amlo saying to the President of the United States, congratulations, you are the first president to not build even a meter of wall. Like, that's a good thing. 
Corinne Jean-Pierre was scorched for her commentary on cartel violence at the border as being completely out of touch. Fox News has a piece dated yesterday, or dated today, actually. Fox News has this piece saying that uh, Fox's Peter Ducey asked a simple question. He said, Americans are being slaughtered. Would President Biden be taking the same approach to the border if it was al-Qaeda or ISIS operating just across the border from an American city? To her response, the FBI and other agencies have been on top of this from day one. And then she really didn't answer the question after that. She even went on to say, though, that the fentanyl uh, crisis is at historic lows. <laughs> that is, that's just an outright lie. And I look at that and think, was that in her notebook or was she winging it? Because it is not at record lows, not at all. Well, so the interesting dynamic we have, though, the military question, I think, is on on is up for debate right now. Is there truly going to be leadership putting forth a plan in the legislature to authorize the use of force, which would still be the call of the president to do? Or are we going to just say a few things and then quit talking about it? Well, New York Times recently reported, and I've got this piece here off hotair.com. As of yesterday, Biden is potentially about to reinstate several of Trump's border policies. <laughs> Again, it points out. This is not the first time because just two weeks ago, apparently the White House announced that it would reject all asylum applications from illegal entrants, again reverting back to the prior policies that have been in place under Trump for rapid deportation. But here's the deal. The Biden administration is considering right now, apparently, reviving the practice of detaining migrant families who cross the border illegally. That same policy the president shut down over the past two years because he wanted a more humane immigration system. Well, how humane is it when they're getting killed on the way over here because you don't have any means for them to be stopped? Well, this will be like the article calls a stark reversal for President Biden. This is not a minor change, y'all. This is, this is the end of catch and release policies that Donald Trump had already ended, but Biden reinstated two years ago. So while single adults remain detained, the Biden administration released families on warrants to sort of appear later, maybe? And that incentivized the trafficking of children across the border. So now if you have a child with you and you threaten that child and they will agree that, yes, this, is, uh, this man who I don't know is my father, well, then you don't have to go into detention. You get released into the United States, which makes no sense, none. And what it does, like they said, is incentivize people to traffic children. And that's where we are on the southern border. Well, um, I got a bunch of folks here texting in. Uh, I got a brand new uh, texter there, Boomer. Uh, Bill from Hillsborough is brand new in the system. He said, wasn't this the same Mexican president who said he was not even going to go after the cartels for any reason? Probably. I don't recall that one, but I don't doubt it. Uh, glad you're in the system there, Bill from Hillsborough. We're glad to have you. Uh, John from Elkmont. He says, uh, wait till the half million top of the line U.S. military rifles make it to the border cartels from Afghanistan. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Ryan from Hazel Green says the fact that there are travel bans from Mexico and yet the border remains open is appalling. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, John from Decatur. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. John's a military guy. I get it, man. Uh, Raven from Russell again. He says uh, in Mexico, shoot, move and communicate and enjoy your stay. Uh, <laughs> JT from Lacey Springs says, uh, are Presidents Biden and Obrador acting like Churchill's predecessor, Neville Chamberlain, to standing by to see what happens next? Sounds like it, doesn't it? 
John from Pike Road, John from Pike Road used to work for Goodyear. John from Pike Road says um, Goodyear is building a plant in Mexico, and it's moving its production there from Union City, Tennessee, and Gadsden, Alabama. And I'm just wondering how much Goodyear is having to pay the cartels to keep the plant open and keep it from being taken over by the cartels. Great question, John. Uh, appreciate you. Um, wow. Man, I got, I got, and, and Bill from Harrisboro heard me. He said, my pleasure. You're welcome, sir. Uh, John from Huntsville just texted in and says, if I won a Wheel of Fortune trip to Mexico, I think I would be to, hey, Pat, I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Boomer, let's go ahead and take the break about a minute and a half earlier than usual. We'll come back and jump into the next part of the show, number two of the Triple Dipper. The state of the state will jump off of Mexico and start talking about Alabama. Governor Ivey gave her state of the state speech last night, so I'll break it down for you and tell you what we got or didn't get. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Uh, jumping over to the text lines real quick, I will tell you that uh, Steve from Tennessee says, I can sum up Kay Ivey in her speeches in five words. Minimize expectations to avoid disappointments. <laughs> Steve from Tennessee, always got away with words. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, we got a new texter, Marie from Huntsville. We're glad you're on the line. Marie, we'll get you plugged into the system. Uh, she says, this is Marie in Huntsville. If the drug cartels have paid off the government officials and police in Mexico, is it really a stretch to believe they might not also be paying off some of the corrupt officials here in our country as well? It really makes you wonder when neither of our political parties, for the most part, seem interested in actually dealing with the crisis at the border. Uh, I would hope not, but it is not beyond the stretch of imagination, Marie, although I will tell you, uh, I feel like the corruption is largely based on the southern side of that border. Um, uh, if there is something going on on this side, uh, I would bet that it's more localized and giving them the ability to traffic in as opposed to somebody in Congress just not passing a bill. Um, I think you're going to see some congressional action uh, coming up here soon. The question is whether the Biden administration has the stomach to, to sign off on it. Um, what else we got here on the line? Um, uh, Michelle from Huntsville says, Corrine Jacques-Pierre <laughs> is the poster child for all of those who swallow the lefty lies they hear and parrot. It, uh, isn't that true? Uh, Brian from Huntsville says, former taker from Fort Bliss, how many Americans get beat up and robbed there versus cartel members on our side of the border? I, I agree. I'm, I'm betting, and, and that's, you know, I've never been stationed at Fort Bliss, but Brian has, obviously. And, uh, and you're, you're talking about uh, a, a bunch of Joes get a weekend pass Guess how many of them get beat up by comparison to the number of Mexicans who get beat up when they come on this side? Not, not very often. So, yeah, uh, Obrador, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, Colin from Decatur said, uh, what's he talking about? The Goodyear plant. Yeah, he said, well, Gadsden's losing their tax double dip for occupational tax on Goodyear employees and then taxing Goodyear. Imagine that. Well, it, 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 that's, that's the way it happened, Colin. Yes, it did. 
All right, let me jump over here. So last night, the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, gave her state of the state a speech. And so this is a thing that happens every year. The legislature goes into session. On the first day of session, the governor will then also deliver a speech called the state of the state and outline the governor's agenda. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't have to be kept a secret up to that point. You can actually get out there and do some work. You can actually get out there and hold a press conference. You can actually get out there and say, here's what I'm calling on the legislature to do, or here's the leadership position I'm going to take, or here's what I'm joining with other states to make happen. When's the last time you heard that out of Governor Ivey? Hit me some crickets there, Boomer. You got any crickets? There you go. You haven't heard that. I mean, when you've got Governor Kemp and you've got Governor Tate Reeves from Mississippi and you've got Governor Kemp from Georgia and you've got Governor DeSantis from Florida and then you got, you know, um, oh, gosh, what's uh, the governor from Tennessee, Bill? Um, Bill, Lee. Bill Lee, thank you. Man, I mean, we got, some, we got some rowdy governors. We're surrounded by some rowdy governors, some rowdy Republican governors that are outspoken and getting stuff done. And then we have... Hit me the crickets again. That's what it feels like. Well, last night she gave her speech, and she outlined a few things. Now, the conservatives in this state have been calling for a long period of time, me included, for several things. Number one, comprehensive tax reform or tax relief. Number two, school choice. Last night you got a tepid token view of those two things. So story here from 1819 News, Craig Monger wrote this one, says, in her State of the State address on Tuesday, Governor Ivey announced her call for a special session to handle the allocation of American Rescue Plan Act funds. So if you're not familiar, we got a ton of money from the federal government because of COVID. Like $1.7 billion, no, $1.9 billion, I believe it was. Uh, Anyway, 1.7, I think. Yeah, $1.7 billion. We spent part of it already. Now they're going back in to spend the other billion-ish. And this is being done in a special session. So the way this works is the, the, the legislature gaveled in once a year. They, can, they can't go down there and do, pass laws whenever they feel like it. So if you're thinking, why aren't they busy like Congress is all the time? Because they're part-time. The Alabama legislature, like most state legislatures, is considered a part-time gig. When I was in, my wife and I, we jokingly called it my full-time, part-time job, but you, you can only go into session either A, during the regular session, which is scheduled at a certain period of time and it's constitutionally mandated, or B, if the governor calls you into a special session, at which point the governor has to issue what's known as the call and put in the call what he or she is asking for the legislature to address. Why is the governor stopping the regular session, which started yesterday, and asking them to go into special session right away because they want it to be distraction free. That's why. Because when you when you get on the floor of the Senate or the House and you're dealing with one bill, I guarantee you there's four other bills in the background that someone is saying, I'll give you my vote if you'll do this thing, or I want to do an amendment, or I want to have a filibuster to slow the rest of it down. Well, when you get into a special session and all you can do is address the call, in this case, the ARPA money, the, the billion dollars, then it sort of refines the focus. You get in there, you do the thing, you move it forward, you vote in one body, it goes to the next body, they move it forward, you get it done, you send it to the governor, you sign it, you're done. 
there's times when it's good. There's also times when it's not good because sometimes you don't want a billion dollars shouldn't go fast. Let's put it that way. A billion dollars should not be rushed through a process. And brother, it's about to be rushed through a process. Let me just tell you, you're about to see a billion dollars get spent in record time, like shabam, and it's gone. And that's what's going to happen. Because the, I believe the legislative session, the special session was called, and I think it's for five days. That's the actual minimum amount of time it takes to get a bill through the legislative process. Because the way it works is, a, and if I get too much in the weeds, I apologize, but the way it works is a bill gets dropped in, which is the, the formal introduction. You drop it off with the, actually hand it to the clerk with your signature on it and the signature of any co-sponsors. You hand, it's called dropping it in. You drop the bill in. The clerk then does what it's called its first reading, actually reads it out loud. Senate bill so-and-so, sponsored by Senator so-and-so, is now introduced into the body and, and then assigned to the committee on so-and-so. And then it goes to committee. The committee meets. The committee debates it, hopefully. Sometimes not. The committee gives it a report. If the committee decides to let it die in committee, it can just sit there and never come back out. You're, you're done. If the committee gives it what's called a favorable report, then it comes back out and is reported out, they call it, reported out to the Senate again, in this case. We'll call it the Senate. And the Senate then announces the second reading. The Senate bill number so-and-so has now received a favorable report from the committee on so-and-so and is therefore, you know, transferred to the committee on rules. Rules then decides when it comes to the floor. And the rules committee can bring that thing in a special session, just bang, 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 it's done, it's out. You vote on it in the body, and then it gets transmitted from that house to the other body where they do the exact same process. First reading, second reading, third reading is when you pass it, and then it goes to the governor. You can do that at a minimum. It has to have five days to make that happen. A billion dollars in ARPA funds is going to get jammed through the legislative process in a special session starting probably today, I guess. And it's going to zip on through in five days. Minimal debate, minimal time to amend, minimal time to question, minimal time to get your head around it. It's basically a plan that the governor needs, and the legislative branch appears to be ready to just go ahead and cede authority over to the governor to do whatever she wants to do with the billion dollars in according to the notions that she sent across the street for them to consider. If we see something new and different coming, I'll be surprised. But right now, it appears that billion dollars is already locked in. They have baked it in. All right, but there's a whole lot more in the State of the State Address. So that's the first thing. Special session's happening. But then there's other stuff when they get back into the regular session. What are they going to do? Are we going to have school choice? Are we going to have some tax relief? Is somebody going to say something about corrections? I'll tell you all about it. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the beautiful state of Alabama. I'm talking about way on down south of Birmingham to up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back on over to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. So, um, yeah, this uh, this spending going on, let me just tell you, there, there's there's ways to do things, right? There's ways to do things, and there's ways to not do things. Um, one of the things that I really like about one of our new advertisers, uh, Elm Foundation, is I, I like the way they do things when it comes to putting resources in people's hands. So the Elm Foundation, E-L-M, the Elm Foundation, based out of Huntsville, uh, they are um, apparently doing an amazing job at, at helping people who are disenfranchised, disadvantaged, uh, to find a, a, a way to become you know, more stable and productive without just giving them handouts not just throwing money at it. They are literally doing things like providing them with resources and opportunities and, and, and giving, like I said a moment ago, more of a hand up than a hand out. And they've been apparently very successful. I mean, they, 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 they do any number of things and provide things like higher education and certification programs, targeted training for employment, um, you know, providing uh, resources and support for people who are trying to get back on their feet. And like I said, it's not just a hand out, it's a hand up. You can check them out. I'd encourage you to do so. They're a 501c3 called the Elm Foundation, based out of Huntsville. And their website is ELMHSV, as in Elm Huntsville, ELMHSV.org. Yeah, check them out. We're glad to have them on the team. Um, All right, so heading into the big spend right now. You may be wondering, okay, so the governor just sent the legislature into special session. And that special session now is going to begin and it's going to consider a $1.06 billion amount of money that has to be spent. I mean, the federal government didn't give it to you so you can tuck it away. They actually gave it to them to spend, and I get it. Here's what they've got allocated right now according to the governor's uh, draft plan. $400 million for water and sewer grants. Okay, let me point something out. While that may be necessary, what that also means is rescuing local systems that have done a poor job of keeping their their systems up to date. Just saying, that's what it is. It's also, by the way, when you see grant, what that means is there's a whole lot of money set aside that the governor has discretion on where it goes. So when you see grants, what you find is, hey, governor, on the squeaky wheel, give me some money, and the governor gets to decide yay or nay on that. So $400 million for water and sewer grants, $225 million more for broadband expansion, $339 million allocated to public health, things like $100 million to reimburse hospitals for COVID-19, $40 million for public education health insurance plans. What? I just caught that. The PHIP plan. I don't mind the fact that we give insurance to our teachers and all, but what the frick are we providing another $40 million to... Anyway, $18 million for mental health providers, $5 million to reimburse mental health providers for COVID-19, $20 million for a voluntary clinical trial and research program on what? Um, $55 million for community services like food banks and senior services. $5 million for the Alabama Department of Labor for its expenses in responding to the pandemic. Really? Because they couldn't do it on their government budget you know, never mind the fact that businesses left and right were doing all they could in the private sector. Um, 
Senator Arthur Orr, who is the budget chair, been on the show several times. Arthur Orr says, in my opinion, there will need to be some changes. There's a few areas I want to see modified. He's a budget chairman. He's going to have a say-so in this. He says, we're looking at additional categories that are provided for ARPA expenditures that other states have done. And he also has pointed out most recently that he's more in favor of a more comprehensive form of tax relief, which these ARPA funds, by the way, are allowed to be used for. That's what's so maddening. Is it's like, okay, you got a lot of extra money. Let's make sure we feed the beast, feed the beast, feed the beast. The private sector, and, by the, and, and, and listen, I get it. The governor, I'll tell you about it more in a minute, but the governor apparently also says she's for rebates. What's a rebate? A one-time check that comes to you in the mail. We got a bunch of extra money, so I'm going to send you some of it. Well, that's, I guess that's good. That's not the same as saying, I'm going to lower your taxes. Saying I've got too much of your money, so I'm going to give you a rebate is a whole lot different than saying I'm not going to collect as much money in the future. There's a difference. I want to remind you guys of something. We are one of the only states in the nation that taxes groceries at all. At all. Like, at all. In the history of at all, we're one of the only ones. There's only 12 states in the nation that tax groceries. Of those 12, there's only three that tax groceries at the highest possible rate the state law allows, and Alabama is one of those three. So four cents on every dollar goes to your state coffers. But Phil, if you know the, if you know the deal, those who know, know. If you know the deal, sales tax in Alabama goes straight to education, just education. Education has had increasing budgets now for the last 10 years straight without proration. And we are still one of the last in the nation. Obviously, it's not about the money in education. It's about what you do with it. So that being said, maybe it's time to consider why we're one of the only states that has a grocery tax. But Phil, we have the lowest property taxes. If we raise property taxes, maybe then we could do it at the grocery tax. That's a stupid thing to say. All that saying, and that's, that's the reason why I wound up having to vote against the repeal of a grocery tax when I was in the legislature, because they always attach a stringer to it. You get there, you get kind of fired up, grocery tax. We're going to lower the grocery tax? <gasps> oh, but only if we raise it over here. That's messed up. When you have this level of a surplus, and oh, by the way, we put several measures in place since those days that lead me to believe that we can begin phasing out. You don't have to do it overnight. If, you want to, if, you're, if you're scared of getting rid of the whole four-cent grocery tax in one whack, then maybe you cut it in half the first year and phase out the next two cents over the next five years. I mean, there's a way to do this. You can skin this cat. I'm not going to tell you how to skin it. Just tell you to skin it. It's time to do it. It is time to do it. So the ARPA spending bill, we'll see. I do know that uh, Senator Greg Albritton, a Republican from down yonder in uh, Range, Alabama, says the amounts that are being spent on sewer and water infrastructure in the plan uh, could result in funds going toward projects because of matching more funds because it pulls down federal matching dollars. Okay, maybe so. And that's, that's all cool, and I get it, but what we're looking at right now is there's some systems in this state that have done a horrible job at managing, like total mismanagement at the local level, and they're going to get money for their years of mismanagement. Meanwhile, you're going to have systems that have done a good job and have kept their systems up to date, up to code. All their people are happy. They flush their toilets and drink their water without any trouble at all, and they're not going to get a dime. And that, to me, just feels a little weird. So, yeah, I get, I get a, little, I get a little, little eerie when I see the legislature going, ah, let's just give the governor a checkbook and say, Governor, issue grants at your discretion.
Um, so the legislature has now recessed for two weeks. Recessed for two weeks. So they can have their special session in the interim. Um, yeah, so that's going to happen. Uh, what else have I got here? Ivy, in her speech last night, she did talk about school choice. Sort of. She said that her education policy objectives include an endorsement of charter schools. We already have a charter school law. She wants to enhance it. She wants to bring more accountability to it. I guess that means that she wants to make sure that we don't have another charter school that's directed just to LGBTQ kids like the one in Birmingham. Um, that's just, that's just, that's, that's her plan. Her plan for school choice in the state that is almost bottom in the nation is, I want to see a little more for charter schools. She goes on to say, it's important that we have meaningful discussions on school choice. That must begin with improving the school choice we already have. In other words, I don't want to do anything new. Let's just stick with what we got, all right? So she wants to enhance the Accountability Act, which we passed in 2013 when I was there. Um, and she wants to give more startup funds for charter schools and then give them um, a charter school commission that has better accountability. That's her plan. That's, that's it. That's your plan for school choice. Boom, am I going to have the crickets again? <laughs> yes. So while Ivy's proposal does not necessarily acknowledge much in the way of school choice, she did um, suggest further funding for charter schools, and that's about it. But to keep in mind that we have State uh, Representative Ernie Yarbrough and State Senator Larry Stutz who have proposed what is being called the Price Act, the Parents' Right and Children Education Act, that would allow a true measure of school choice, and that bill is coming up, and I am hoping it will get full and, you know, robust debate and hopefully pass it. I would love to see it pass. My question is, if they pass it, will the governor sign it? Um, well, they've put her on the spot before, and, and I'm hopeful that they'll do it again. Uh, she also did call for a $400 to $800 rebate, so no true tax reform. She didn't even address the grocery tax. She didn't address, you know, uh, lowering taxes in other areas. She didn't address, you know, doing anything other than let's give a one-time check. And so, you know, she kind of made it sound big. I want to put money back in the hands of the people of Alabama. One time. Just once. It would be a $400 rebate if you are a family that has a, uh, um, an income tax you have to pay. It would also mean $800 if you're a dual-income family. Okay. Well, cool. Last I checked, that's the way Democrats usually do it. They throw a check out there and hope for the best. Uh, Senate President uh, Pro Tem Greg Reed said that he believes that broadband access and water and sewer projects are going to be major priorities. He also, uh, they also went on to say that on other initiatives, Ivy said she would sign an executive order to reduce red tape facing small businesses. Okay. She proposed creating a $200 million Main Street program to provide grants to locally owned businesses. No details on how that works. $200 million Main Street program grants. What that basically means is you can apply to the governor's office and see if she likes you enough. In education, the governor said she would support target expansion of pre-K programs, which have been pretty successful in Alabama, I'll admit. The governor also went on to propose another 2% pay raise for teachers. Now, I do not mind teachers getting a pay raise, but I, at some point we're going to have to start saying pay raises are tied to schools improving. I mean, where else in the world are you allowed to be at low ebb constantly and still get a pay raise all the time? Government, that's the only place you can do it. 
So in this case, I would love to see teachers get a pay raise, but I would love for them to improve education first. How about that? That's a neat idea. Here's two things I don't get. Before we go to break, I'll say this. The governor proposed creating the Alabama School of Healthcare Sciences. In other words, a new special kind of a STEM-related school. Okay. In Demopolis. In Demopolis? Is that really the best place to recruit kids to a, uh, a magnet school of some type? In Demopolis? I, Demopolis is a cool little town. It is. But it's a cool little town. And it's a little bit out of the way. Anyway, down there in uh, southwest Alabama. Beautiful place. Great deer hunting down there. Anyway, the school would be in Demopolis and would offer students in grades 9 through 12 science, technology, and math courses and hands-on clinical training experiences. Okay. Here's the other one that I found interesting. Ivy announced the state would join a partnership between the family of University of Alabama football coach Nick Saban and the city of Tuscaloosa to form the Saban Center, which she said would offer interactive and immersive instruction for STEM students as well as arts and sports sciences. And Ivy introduced Terry Saban, Nick Saban's wife, who was there that night as her guest. Huh. Huh. How much are the Sabans putting in on their own to, to form the center? And how much is the University of Alabama going to contribute? And how much is the state going to have to pony up? Huh. Anyway, lots of stuff. A little bit of red meat. Not a lot of what I would call true conservative effort. Let's take the break right now. Boomer will come right back. You got to put a lid on this one. Then top of the hour, it's time for Grand Council. Today, we got a little bit of a substitute. We got a pinch hitter in. Dale Jackson can't make it. We got Sean Sullivan coming in from FM Talk 106.5 down yonder on the coast, along with Jeff Poor and me. That's top of the hour. You guys stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, right side radio, solid conservative and just plain right. Well, hey, uh, I got to I got to I got to tell you, if, if you're not familiar right now, the the right side multiverse has expanded. It just has. And it has in a big way. So, uh, yeah, Boomer and the lovely McQueen, his better three quarters. They've got a podcast called The Right Life, which is uh, we, we download at least two times a week. Am I right? That's right. Yeah, it comes out uh, usually every Wednesday with two two more episodes. Every Wednesday, a couple episodes. Did you drop a couple today? This morning. Hey! Two more. <laughs> it's so, a blast. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually going very cool. In fact, I love the interview. I listened to it uh, over the weekend that y'all did with the... Uh, uh, the owners of a Chick Fil A franchise, and, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't really like a a Chick Fil A podcast. It no. was a it was a podcast about taking risks in life and kind of coming up from nothing and 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 just loving the blessings you've been provided with. It was very absolutely, cool. and just kind of getting their their input on life. Yeah, yeah. it was really neat. Yeah, it was it was very good. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to check out uh, that, so here's what we do. By the way, every day we do the show live, uh, AM FM across you know over half the state of Alabama. 
And, uh, and then Boomer, but like, like literally within minutes of the show being over with, he has taken the show, broken it down into segments like interviews and, you know, grand council, monologue, whatever. And he puts it all out there in podcast form on every version of podcasting known to man. Uh, that is going gangbusters. How, what are we at right now, by the way? One hundred and twenty-three thousand four hundred. Nice. Yes. All right. So one hundred twenty-three thousand downloads of the Right Side Radio podcast, and then we added the Boomer McQueen Right Life, and that thing's been downloaded hundreds and hundreds of times already, oh, which is just very cool. Already, it's yeah. it's it's booming. So it's it's really cool to see everybody uh, joining in. So is that a joke that is booming? Huh? <laughs> I didn't even catch it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Hey, let me jump back on this part of the Triple Dipper. And by the way, coming up here in about the next five minutes, we'll go take our top of the hour break, and then we'll come back with uh, Jeff Poor and Sean Sullivan today for the Grand Council. We do it every Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Uh, so, yeah, um, AL.com, Mike Kaysen. Mike Kaysen's a good dude. Mike Kaysen wrote a piece, uh, headline yesterday, Alabama Governor Kay Ivey to request increases in state budgets. All right, so one of the things that I find a little bit fascinating in a somewhat disappointing way is that we're told that we have to be careful. We're not sure we can do true tax reform because, you know, the money might not be here a year from now. We might be on lean times by then. We just don't know. Okay, if that's your excuse, that means you tighten up everywhere. You don't ask for more in your budget. You don't ask for pay increases because here's what happens. When you give somebody a 2% pay increase, it's not just for this year. It's perpetual. Because once you give them a 2% pay increase, you're not going to cut it. So if you're going to give pay increases, if you're going to increase budgetary processes, understand this. You have just pretty much embedded that in to future budgets. So if there's not enough to give the people of the state something back, but yet you can still grow government, what the heck? The stories are not adding up. AL.com writes, Alabama State Finance Director said today that Governor Kay Ivey would request increases in the state's general fund and education budgets, but cautioned that lawmakers should be prepared for leaner times. My point exactly. Finance Director Bill Poole, I like Bill Poole, by the way. He's a former state representative, just a really good guy. Um, he, he's, he's, he, he became the finance director uh, when uh, the previous director uh, had, had retired uh, after a long career. He gave a presentation to lawmakers, which they do every year, uh, and Poole says the governor's requested education budget will call for $8.79 billion, um, which is a 6.5% increase over the past year, which, by the way, the last year was the biggest education budget ever. In case you're not familiar, Alabama has uh, a very unusual form of budgeting. Everything's in two budgets, education all by itself, $8.79 billion is the ask. But the rest of the state is funded by what's called the general fund. And the general fund, all the non-education state programs and services, Ivy's requesting $2.97 billion, which is, which is 0.4% more and more this year. So we're looking, so we're looking at, at 6.5% increase, increase in education, 8% increase in everything, everything else. And yet and there's none of the actually. actually. Wow. wow. All right, folks, right, stay tuned. We'll come right back with the Grand Council. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
right side. You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national. We cover down on all the issues, and like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it is uh, it is that time. It is that time of the week. One of my favorite segments that we do every single week, and typically at Wednesdays at 4 p.m., we call it the Grand Council, where I bring on two of my brethren who are also in talk radio, doing it longer than I have, and uh, and we ping each other with questions and just see how we do. Let me go ahead and just uh, tell you, we got a we got a ringer in today. We got a guy in who is uh, pinch hitting. So I'll I'll introduce him first. Sean Sullivan from uh, Midday Mobile, the host of Midday Mobile on FM Talk 106.5, is sitting in today for Dale Jackson. Sean Sullivan, are you here? I am here. I, I question your judgment having me in as your ringer, but hey, we'll, we'll take it for what it is. Just just take it as a compliment and run with it, brother. Um, and then also our, our usual Jeff Poor from FM Talk 106.5, the Jeff Poor Show, and also the executive editor for 1819 News. Jeff Rowe Poor, are you here? I am present. You are indeed. Thank you so much. All right. Well, hey, I pronounce a quorum. Boomer, hit it. Assemble the Grand Council. Ta-da. All right, let's get her done. So uh, first one out the gate, you know the rules, fellas. We ping each other with questions. We don't even know the questions in advance. We see how we do, and we may not always agree, but we love each other when it's done. So, Jeff, I think you're like the traveling itinerant radio guy today. You go first. What's your question? Um. Yeah, from Pelham at my mom's house right now, uh, having fled Montgomery for— Hey, Mom. No at reason. House. At your mom's house. I like this. So anyway, uh, uh, back to the subject at hand here. Uh, am I a bad person for having a visceral reaction to uh, Richard Shelby addressing a joint session of the legislature tomorrow to honor his years of service in Washington? <laughs> so you want to take that first? Uh, I'll go first. Sure. Why not? Um, now, is he is he is he saying, "Hey, y'all come to my party," or are they inviting him in and asking him to address his time? I don't, I don't know of this. They stuff. they have invited him. Okay, well, you, you you speak to a joint session of the legislature, the invitation of the legislature. Well, that is that is true. Although uh, you can also ask for it to happen, and certain people will get it. So I would, uh, you know, that that does feel a little weird. Um, I, mean, I guess they're going to honor his years of service and probably name a building after him or a street. Or the new state house, or something, um, but um, you know, I look at it and go, "Wow, um, okay, let's let's just go ahead and get it out of the way." So, uh, Sean, you, well, of course. I mean, you talk about Alabamians that have. I mean, we're we're in the legislature, right? And we're appropriating funds, and we're in this ARPA session, right? So we got the and Jeff can fill us in. I think what they gaveled into special today. They gaveled in and gaveled out. Okay. So if you have a special session going on and its purpose is to spend money, oh, could there be a more fitting person to have honored at that time? I think it's perfect. I think it's a it's perfect branding. Will he bring a check with him, Jeff? What do you think? One of those big checks, like after you win a golf tournament checks. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Like, 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 like the, uh, the, I won the prize check. 
I, I just, I am tired of the Richard Shelby celebration tour. We've been doing it for five years now. And every columnist in this state has written up. Aren't we glad to have Richard Shelby bring it home to bacon? Look, I will acknowledge what he has done for this state is, is fine. But, but can we just, can't we just get on with our lives and he can't, he just go retire and go drink sweet tea in Tuscaloosa or something. I just, how much yeah. more do we have to do with this guy? Jeff session started yesterday. If they were going to, they couldn't have done it before. So, I mean, if they were going to do could this, have, they I mean, knew on the he, calendar, right? No, on the calendar, if they're going to do it in session, this is the only time they, they could, yesterday would have been the first day they could do it. No, 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 no. He has been, uh, he announced his retirement like two years ago. Know, they could have done it any time since then. You don't do that. You don't do that before he's officially retired. You can't, you, you gotta, you gotta be officially out. And then you do this. What, 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 he, what he really could have done was he could have just showed up at the state of the state and taken Governor Ivy's place on the podium and brought the check with him then. I, I don't see do this for, for Jeff Sessions. They haven't done it for any other longstanding senator. This is just grotesque government uh, self worship. And 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 if you, you and, and and try to tell me I'm wrong, you're not. Oh, I, wrong. I will. You are wrong. Okay, he says you're wrong. <laughs> I say you're not wrong. But nonetheless, you are there in Montgomery. I look forward to your report on the joint session of the legislature with Senator Shelby. Yeah, bag not included. All right, let me go ahead and get the next question before I run out of time. So here's here's my question for you. The legislature has come into session. They may not have stayed there long today. Uh, they have come into session to spend $1.06 billion in ARPA funds. I've seen the draft, and I know you have too. Uh, you, I guess you have, Sean, but I know Jeff has. The, the draft proposed spending plan. Will the legislature buck the governor's spending wish list and add or detract from it uh, in any way. Your thoughts on that? And I'll go with you first, Sean. Uh, gosh, in a, in, a, in a big way, would they know? I don't think they will. Uh, it, we do have questions on the spending portion. You know, I'm, I'm kind of more focused on is, spend, is giving taxpayer dollars back, you know, that were deficit spending tax dollars, giving yeah. them back to taxpayers. Is that spending? Okay, if we call that spending, then I think there may be something here. And just because the Whisper campaign, before session started, you know, I've been uh, one of those squawkers about the uh, state sales tax on groceries a long time. Oh, yeah. And uh, usually I would talk about it and people say, oh, isn't that cute? That's nice. Um, this year I had more members of the legislature on the show and just listening to people off air that maybe think that maybe there's a push for it. I mean, the governor seemed real sure that we should all be very happy with that $400. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, because that's good. I, I don't know what other families are like. But you put it into the blender that is my family, $400. In two weeks, we couldn't even count for it. I got teenagers, young kids. But uh, do I think there may be some bucking of it on, on, a, on a sales, a reduction or some plan out there? I do. Uh, Jeff Rowe, you're down there. What are you hearing? Well, I, 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 you know, there's it's a lot of confusion as to what's going to happen, and, and no one's really getting a clear message from leadership. But uh, they're gaveling in, gaveling out, and moving so uh, kind of how they are makes me think that there's some there's something held holding it up and maybe it is that they're going to have to give in to something they're not going to just let bill pull write the bill pull the finance director that is write the bill and then the legislature's just going to rubber stamp it it makes you think they're going to have to give up something but will it be significant i don't know i, I what, but the only thing that bothers me about that draft senator and, and there's a draft up on allison now i'm told 
So I need to go back and look and see how similar the drafts are. But it, it gives way too much uh, spending discretion to the bureaucracy, particularly to ADEM, which is not yes. a uh, not a very good agency. It no. doesn't have a very good track record. So that, that's what maybe they need. The legislature needs to put in some kind of oversight mechanism or be a little more specific in where the money needs to go. Well, And the, and, and here's my, my piece on this, too. I, I get I get kind of antsy when I realize that a lot of those things are written as grants. Grants that then become the discretion of the governor's office to award at their, you know, their, their, you know, their whim. And, uh, and I know there'll be an application process and yada, yada, yada. But what it basically means is if the governor's office likes your grant proposal, then they'll give it to you. If they don't like you or your grant proposal, you may not get it. And we're looking at rewarding a number of systems, sewer and water systems around the state, that have done a horrible job at managing themselves over the years with grants at the discretion of the governor. Um, so, yeah, I, I, got, I got issues with it. All right, uh, the rookie, Sean Sullivan. You got mm-hmm. a question for us? Oh, okay. so this is my chance to ask mine. Okay, uh, well, we went through one of mine. Well, you, no, we'll, yeah, we'll go here. Um, if you could choose, okay, because this goes back to what we were just talking about, but if you could choose a $4,000 rebate, okay? Now, I know the $4,000 rebate or ending in, in forever the state's, Four percent grocery sales tax. Which one? You get a one-time four thousand dollar check, or you put it. It's never going to come back. The state's portion of sales tax is gone forever. Which one do you choose? Well, well Lord Sean, could you throw in world peace while you're at it? I mean, no, 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 no not with what's going on right now. No, <laughs> just I'm worried about Alabama. So, what? Which one do you choose? Uh, you know, okay. Uh, d- four grand's big money. Big four, money. Four grand. It's big doings, man. It's big doings. But I'm when I'm I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking, if you want to take the statesman's view. You do you do complete tax reform, meaning you change yep. some measure of collection, and you yep. also recognize that four thousand dollars. When you start flooding the market in a down economy, all you've done is increase the possibilities of of inflation. So, yes. those who know know, and and we say no. Uh, so that's that's my thought. With about a minute left, uh, Jeffro, what do you think? You take the four thousand dollars. They're going to raise property taxes, or they'll they'll figure out a way to raise the taxes somewhere else to com- to accommodate uh, to, for it. So it's just take take the money and run. It's not going to be worth much in fifteen minutes because of inflation. Spend it on what you got to spend it on. So Jeff's got a bass boat in his future, and he's looking at a four thousand dollar deposit. Your own question, Sean. What do you think? Oh, I, absolutely. You take the route you did. We have a, a, you know, a sea change gets thrown away, uh, thrown around. It's such a cliche, but we have a moment because of this. It's, it's this deficit spending money that's already problematic. Let's make the best out of it and change the tax structure to, to, to help all Alabamians. And there's one place you can do that right across the board, and that's getting the state out of the taxation of the basics of life. I completely agree. All right. Take the money. Don't be a sucker. (laughs) Don't be stupid. And on that note, (laughs) we're going to move to a break. Boomer, go ahead and move us to a break, brother. I am right now in the Grand Council with the Coastal Delegation from FM Talk 106.5. Sean Sullivan, host of Midday Mobile. Jeff Poor, host of the Jeff Poor Show. Both of them from down yonder in Mobile. And Jeff's also with 1819 News. And just little old me, Phil Williams. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. All right, it's Wednesday afternoon, the 4 o'clock segment. We got the Grand Council today. We got uh, two dudes, two dudes from down on the coastal region. FM Talk 106.5, Midday Mobile host, Sean Sullivan, and uh, Jeff Poor, host of the Jeff Poor Show on the same station, and also the uh, executive editor for 1819 News. We're back to round two of the Grand Council. So, uh, Jeffro Poor, what is your question for round two? The footage on Tucker Carlson's show that's been airing yeah. or that aired, uh, tell me, has it changed your opinion of January 6th? It didn't change it. It's confirmed it. I mean, I did a whole segment on this yesterday. It just, it, it, I mean, it's one of those things where I rarely find myself just yelling when I'm watching TV, and I did when I watched that because it was so obvious that there were – here's what bothers me, I think, the most. Aside from the, the fake narrative by people who've been elected to support and defend the Constitution, uh, what really bugs me as an attorney – is knowing that there are people who were denied access to these videos that might have had exculpatory evidence in their own plea deals or, or, or criminal proceedings that needed those videos, and they were denied access to them. And that just ticks me off, to be honest with you. Uh, Sean, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't, it, didn't change, it didn't change my mind. I mean, some of the, I mean, some of the things you can pick out, the easy things, like the, 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 almost the tour guide, Poor, you know, you got the, uh, the QAnon shaman. Uh, yeah. No big fan of his, but uh, you know, kind of being led through. I, I didn't. It seemed like a slow, like f- for the narrative to bend that it was so tense, and I believe parts of it were tense. But then to right. see the video and see the kind of body language and stuff. I mean, you end up having somebody shot and killed there. But in other uh, other video, you're going, well, uh, they're just doing a tour. It, Yes, the narrative of how tense the situation, how critical the situation was, and then to see the video, it conflicts with the two narratives. It absolutely does. Jeff, your own question. What are your thoughts? The reaction to it is what you need to pay attention to and just how yeah. set your hair on fire and how even Republican politicians are reacting to this. Tells you what you need to know, guys. We Our, our suspicions are confirmed. But it also just tells you how little they think of you in Washington, D.C., that they can pull the the wool over your eyes and you won't know any better. And now that somebody is messing with their nice little narrative here, you're uh, they're they're angry about it. That That's that's the story here. I, I totally agree. And, and watching some of them, their heads are exploding, like on CNN, which is one of the screens up in my studio here. Just amazing today. Their heads have been exploding over this issue. So I, here, here's here's what I hope comes out of this, too. I hope not only do we see uh, another part of it or at least a softening of the narrative at the very least. I hope they put all that video out there on a website able to be downloaded by the general public who can watch even more of it and gain their own um, uh, views. There's, there's what, what, what would keep that, Phil, what would keep that from happening? Is there, I mean, is there any legal reason that that couldn't be, you know, open sourced? At, at this point, I don't think there is. I mean, at some point they were classifying, apparently the, the, the speaker's office was classifying these as too sensitive for public consumption. At this point, though, they've given them over to the media. So I think they've lost that narrative now completely if they wanted to pursue it. So I say go for it. Um, and, you know, Tucker Carlson even said last night they did all they could to make sure they didn't expose anything. And before they aired something on the show, they had it reviewed again by Capitol Police. So it's been very responsible. But I still think you can do it at this point. Um, all right. Hey, next question. Let me jump on this before I run out of time. Uh, so uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. That bastion of conservatism and fairness, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, had one of their lawyers in, uh, involved in an attack on police in Atlanta. 
Um, I think there's 23 different people now that have been charged with domestic terrorism. He being one, however, he's the only one that was offered bond. Uh, he bonded out. The SPLC, not even remorseful, says he was there as a legal advisor, which seems to indicate to me that he knew the attack was coming and he went along as a quote-unquote legal advisor. Do you see any accountability coming for the SPLC on this issue at all? Uh, Sean, you first. Probably the discussion will be, and actually, I, I did not know that they had said he was there as a legal advisor because if, if they didn't, they could say, well, you know, he's on his own time, Phil. He's doing things on his own time. Can you criticize what people want to do, you know, when they're away from work? Is he there as a legal advisor, knows it's happening? Yeah, I, I obviously, I think there there's culpability there. Will it come to from where i don't know no i don't think i don't i don't think they they, they suffer under this I, I i'd be surprised uh yeah jeff two things uh this guy all these people are in jail this guy was their legal advisor get a new legal advisor and the second thing <laughs> is can we file a bar complaint against this guy or something uh just to see what would happen did it, 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 did he somehow violate his duties as a member of the bar well, I, I, I would say, yes, he did. I mean, I remember being in Baghdad, and we used to keep an eye on the Al Jazeera building because whenever they rushed out the door, it meant they knew there was an ambush coming, and, and we considered that to be an indicator they were complicit. Well, this is the same to me. If he's going to the site to, to sort of be there to watch, doesn't that seem to indicate that if they're carrying Molotov cocktails and all that, he's a really bad legal advisor? Um, but anyway, uh, we got about a minute. So, Sean, throw a question at us. Let's see if we can do a quick one. Okay, this will be a fast one. Um should the United States have boots on the ground to fight the fentanyl crisis in Mexico? Should we? There's all these talks about we need to do something. we got a war against Mexico. What would you say? I mean, we're put, put uh, U.S. boots on the ground in Mexico. You missed my whole first hour then because my whole first hour of the show was dedicated to that very issue. So uh, so I'm, recap for me, yeah. So quickly, as, as I, I have no problem with a Tomahawk missile taking out a drug lab right now and then letting it be known that more is coming if they don't get themselves under control. Uh, so there's my first thoughts. Boots on the ground, not necessarily, uh, but uh, but some kind of military action, absolutely. Uh, Jeff? Airstrikes, drone strikes, light them up. Uh, do what you got to do. I don't think we need to send boots on the ground, though. Uh, your own question, Sean. Give it to us. So uh, I think you, you have a danger putting boots on the ground, obviously getting in a situation where how long are we going to stay there? But at the same time, you know what? You send those cruise missiles. You send those. Uh, you, you send those drones in there, and guess what? You 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 hit the wrong building, or it spills into the other building, and, and you kill innocent people because you didn't have somebody painting, you know, painting the target. Um, I I, I, I got to have somebody on the ground. I think. So I think you're going to have special operations teams on the ground, but when you talk about mass movement of troops, I they got boots, or, unless they're wearing tennis shoes, like well, a lot of those guys. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Hey, Sean Sullivan, good job, man. Not bad Thank for you. a rookie. Appreciate you being here today. Thank you. All right, guys, Grand Council, every Wednesday at 4. Thanks to Sean Sullivan, Jeff Poor, both from FM Talk 106.5, and me. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering down on some major ground across the northern half of the most beautiful state in the nation, Alabama. Uh, yeah, this station goes, I mean, this, this show goes way on down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back on over to Gadsden, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi, thrown in just for good measure. Um, so let me just tell you something. If you think for a second that maybe, just maybe, because this is Camel Day, this is, this is the day you're feeling a little saucy because you made it through the first half of the week. If you're feeling a little saucy, then maybe tomorrow morning you think, and I'm going to treat myself because it's the second half of the week. On the way into work, I'm stopping at Just Love Coffee Cafe. You like how I threw that in there? Camel Day, Just Love Coffee Cafe. I liked it. You like that? Feeling a little saucy. Feeling a little saucy? Yeah. Stop in and get yourself a womlet. A womlet, you say. Yes, indeed, a giant omelet stuffed with everything, including tater tots and cooked on a waffle iron. Cool. They got wraps. They got biscuits. They got waffles like you wouldn't believe. Can I get yourself the berry, berry, berry waffle? Yes. Get yourself a, Charlene calls them the treat coffees, like the cappuccinos, the espressos, the lattes, or just get them to grind the beans fresh on some of their award-winning dry roast coffee, light, medium, dark roast. All I'm saying is this. If you're feeling a little saucy, because you got halfway through the week already, stop in tomorrow morning. Don't do the usual biscuit in the drive-thru. Don't mess up the kitchen. Don't have a bowl of cereal. Go stop by Just Love Coffee. Give yourself a few extra minutes. Stop by Just Love Coffee. Two locations in our listening area. One on Hughes Road in Madison. The other on South Parkway in Huntsville. And treat yourself. And tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. I would appreciate that, too. Hughes Road in Madison, South Parkway in Huntsville. Just Love Coffee Cafe. All right. Uh, so... COVID aftermath is number three of the triple dipper. Boomer, we're making all three dippers. All three. All three dippers and a grand council. Woo. <laughs> it's, it's big doings, it's man. big doings on Wednesday. It's big on doings. Monday. I'm just saying. Like it. So Red State has an article. Oh, by the way, this part of the triple dipper is called COVID aftermath. If you're not familiar, today was the day. Republicans took charge of the House, and the COVID investigation began today. So... Interesting thing is how much stuff there is still being dealt with, not just the questions about origin, but the stuff being dealt with in post-COVID world. Are we in, are we in post-COVID? I think, I think we've moved, and I'm not, a, by the way, I'm not a scientist. I have no degrees in microbiology or the etymology of uh, any kind of illnesses. I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express. But I can tell you this, my understanding is that we have very likely, I'd say likely, like probable, have moved from being in a pandemic to being endemic. It's endemic, meaning it's just part of life now. COVID's here. It's just here. It's like the flu. It just we're gonna have we're gonna have COVID around. Well that being said, why are we still doing some stupid stuff? Like why do we still have these travel bans? So redstate.com has this article Ron DeSantis pins a cheeky letter to Joe Biden asking if Novak Djokovic can play can enter the US by boat. <laughs> this is a win, by the way, for DeSantis. So Ron DeSantis seems to be having a great time in his second term as governor, according to Red State. And while the rest of us wait to see if he's going to run for president, DeSantis is racking up wins and making Joe Biden look foolish every day. For instance, in the issue of tennis star Novak Djokovic, the Serbian tennis stars are making headlines the last few years, not just because he's so good on the tennis court, Right but because of his steadfast refusal, says the article, to get the COVID vaccine. He chose not to. It was his choice. And he got denied the opportunity to do what he does best, which is play in major tournaments around the world. 
He wasn't even allowed to Australia for the Australian Open. He wasn't able to play in the prestigious U.S. Open because of the vaccination requirements. And now what's happening is he's still not allowed to come in to play in this week's uh, BNP Paribus Open, which takes place in uh, Indian Wells, California. And so once again, the Department of Homeland Security denied his request based solely on his vaccination status. It's ridiculous. By the way, it's a single-player sport. Just tell him he can't shake hands with the opposing side. Don't jump the net. Don't hug your opponent. We'll be fine. Anyway, but because of that, though, the decision is going to force him to miss the Miami Open, which, in which case Ron DeSantis got involved, and he wrote a letter to Joe Biden, apparently. And he said, let's put pandemic politics aside and give the American people what they want. Let him play. Let the boy play is what he's saying. And he went on to say that what we're looking at is an unfair, unscientific, and unacceptable standard. He also said, it's clear to me, it's not clear to me, I'm sorry, why even by the terms of your proclamation, Mr. Jakovich could not just legally enter the country by boat. Because <laughs> apparently in Florida, that's the way they deal with immigration, is people coming in by boat. And they don't check them. They bring them in and set them loose. And he's wondering, so if Jakovich just came in by boat, can we just go ahead and let him play? Game, set, and match to DeSantis on that one. You like my pun there? Game, set, and match. Um, but, you know, that may be kind of fun. That may be kind of different. That may be kind of, you know, a little euphemistic with regards to COVID. But there's still a bunch of stuff out there that we're dealing with right now in the aftermath of COVID that's got to get figured out and got to get changed. So today was the day, ABC News reporting here in a story that was dated today, that on today's date, we are expecting to see the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic chaired by Ohio, Ohio Republican Brad Weinstrup, or Winstrup. Uh, I was supposed to convene today at 9 a.m. All I know so far is I saw a ticker just a minute ago up on uh, Fox News that said it was a fiery committee. Interesting. So what we want to know, first of all, is where did it come from? And, and I got news. China owes us a better answer. Now, China has not been cooperative at all. Pray tell, why would that be? Well, it started there. I don't care if it started in the lab or in the street, you know, in the, in the wet market, because somebody had a bat sandwich. Doesn't matter. China should be cooperating on this, because it, either way you look at it, it started in China. It's the China flu. Remember back in the day we got in trouble for calling it the China flu? Boomer. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's, it's what it is. It's the China flu. So the Chi I mean, if you if you look back in in history, we had the Spanish flu. I don't think the Spaniards were upset. You know, we've had Asian flu. We've had bird flu. Were the birds mad? It's the China flu. Whether it started in a lab or started in a wet market, it's the China flu. China should be helping with this. China should be saying, hey, get over here and help us figure this out because we don't want it to happen again. No, we're not getting that. So the House Select Subcommittee formed today to begin tackling the question that's plagued intelligence and health officials for the past three years. Where did the virus that has killed more than one million Americans and nearly seven million people worldwide, where did it come from? So the article points out that U.S. agencies do remain divided on the matter. There's no smoking gun. There's limited access to raw data because of lack of cooperation from China. So where did it come from? Well, the U.S. Department of Energy just last week said that it has changed its position and believes that it did come from a lab leak. 
The FBI has quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a lab leak. Four other U.S. agencies, however, believe it was a natural transmission. In other words, the bat that it jumped from animals to humans at the wet market. Two other agencies are undecided. So we have no consensus whatsoever. And yet seven million people died. And, and let that sink in. Something killed seven million people. A million of them live in the United States. Something killed a million of our fellow citizens. And we don't know what started it. And, and the country in which it originated, we're getting very little assistance. And that's unacceptable. Well, here's something else that's unacceptable. Story on National Review really caught my attention when I was getting ready for the show today. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the guy who they kept trotting out there like it was making things better to have him talk to the people. Dr. Anthony Fauci, apparently it's discovered now. You know, at some point when he was when he was poo-pooing the idea that it started in a lab. Just 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 let's let's debunk that now, senators. It did not start in a lab. Well, it turns out that he's relying upon a paper that he commissioned and directed. In other words, he's quoting himself. It says, on Sunday, the GOP-led House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic revealed that the nation's leading epidemiologist in February of 2020 directed and approved a paper titled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, which he later cited to cast the lab leak theory as a myth. It turns out, it says, that Dr. Fauci is the one who now prompted the drafting of that publication that disproved the lab, that quote-unquote disproved the lab leak theory. And the authors of the paper skewed their available evidence in order to achieve the goal that he was seeking. Dr. Jeremy Farrar went uncredited despite significant involvement, a memo from the committee read. So what we're looking at here is he basically created a self-licking ice cream cone. I need somebody to write a paper. Make sure it says these kind of things. If that's not the case, let him come out and speak to it. But right now, what we're, what we're gaining is the guy who told us it didn't start in the lab, the guy who says that the fact that grants that he oversaw that went to gain-of-function research in China, the fact that it all happened that way, it didn't come from a lab. It didn't come from a lab. I've got a paper right here that says it didn't come from a lab. Oh, you commissioned that paper. You paid for it. Interesting. Self-licking ice cream cone. All right, Boomer, take me to a break, brother. We'll take the last break of the day. We'll come back, and we will wrap this sucker up. And I've got somebody saying I'm mispronouncing something. What am I mispronouncing? I'm mispronouncing the tennis player's name? Really? Am I? Novak Djokovic? Well, daggone. All right. All I know is he's a good tennis player. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back.
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, let me tell you before we go any further, ZLA Solutions is out there. If you're looking for a job or if you're looking for people for a job, ZLA Solutions is where you might want to turn. Their website is ZLAUSA.com, and they are doing an epic good job at lining up people and work on a regular, like, daily basis. So if you're looking for a job yourself, go to their website, ZLAUSA.com. Check it out. They've got jobs posted all over, and they're, and they're good jobs, a lot of them with high wages and, and even benefits. But if you're an individual, excuse me, an employer, or looking to fill out the ranks of your workforce, well, that's, that's, a, that's a move you need to make. ZLAUSA.com is the website. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing if necessary, blue collar, white collar, no collar, I always say, don't matter. They can do it for you. At ZLA Solutions, they can find you the onesies and twosies with special niche skills, or they can find you a whole shift of people. Just let them, let them go to work. They love to say at ZLA that they don't make it. They make it better. That's their mission in life, man. Help you make your business better. So, yeah, check them out, ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. And tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. That would mean a lot. All right, um, I'm back on this uh, last dipper here, the COVID aftermath. So interesting thing is I just saw on Twitter during the break, um, uh, somebody I follow on Twitter said, after the CDC director, Dr. Redfield's testimony today, there should be a SWAT team of FBI raiding Tony Fauci right now. But I know it'll never happen is what he says. That's interesting. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about how this hearing went today. And if I hear something good, I'll talk about it tomorrow. Some of the things that are happening, though, in the COVID aftermath, which is what this part of the uh, triple deer period is. In the COVID aftermath, one of the things we have to look at is the massive level of COVID spending. I mean, y'all, it became a trough. Just like, let's belly up to the bar, folks. We got a little more for you. So um, the COVID spending was just just slopped out there. And it got, it got to the point of being stupid. Well, in the same time, when you're throwing that much money into the into the market, or for that matter, not even in the market, just throwing that much money out there, period, like throwing it out the window of your car as you drive down the interstate is what it felt like, you're going to wind up having fraud. Right now, they're saying that that, that fraud um, is, is, is such epic levels in the level of COVID funds that were fraudulently obtained or applied for and then absconded with that some estimates are that we could be looking at upwards of $250 billion in fraudulent uh, uh, pandemic-related um, access to funds. So far, they've had efforts that have recovered about $2 billion of it. When you consider the amount that was, that was fraudulently obtained, potentially, that's a drop in the bucket. So right now, the White House on Thursday, this is uh, last Thursday, laid out a plan to target pandemic fraudsters and recapture stolen relief funds. All right, they say... They want to put about $600 million into a task force to investigate and prosecute systemic pandemic fraud. Mm, okay. Well, I'm glad. And the first thing I thought of was, where you been? Because it's not like a new thing. Well, House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer, a Republican out of Kentucky, he said his panel is going to launch investigations like that into hundreds of billions of taxpayer dollars. This may wind up being a bipartisan effort. But he does also go on to say, couldn't resist, I guess, he said in response to the White House proposal, Comer said it's about time the Biden administration addressed waste, fraud, and abuse, and pandemic spending. It took Republicans taking the majority and holding hearings for this to become a priority proposal. <laughs> he ain't wrong. 
lastly, I saw a piece on thehill.com. Thehill.com by Joe Concha, dated uh, two days ago. And Joe Concha is saying the time has now come for a 9-11-like commission on COVID-19. So he points out, we get commissions all the time. We get special hearings all the time in D.C. And they're usually sort of set up to allow the various members of the body to have their orchestrated soundbite moments where instead of asking a question, they make a small speech. And then they sort of insult the, the, uh, the, the person who's there to provide testimony. And the one exception to that has been the 9-11 Commission. He points out it was created in 2002, one year after the terrorist attacks of 9-11. And it was a bipartisan effort, and it had a vested interest not to allow one part or the other to look bad, just to find out how the attacks happened and what could be done to prevent another massive terror attack. Um, I've got a copy of the 9-11 Commission report. It's out there. It's in book form. You can get a copy if you want it. But he points out that 3,000, Joe Conta does, points out 3,000 Americans died on 9-11. But no event since September 11th has had such a profound effect on the United States as the COVID-19 pandemic that began three years ago. And a million Americans have died. A million. He says, so it would make sense, even in these hopelessly divided times, for a COVID-19 commission to be formed in the bipartisan, sober spirit of the 9-11 commission. Really go at it with subpoena power. And a, and a charter of their own, something that transcends just, you know, a committee assignment that, that literally becomes a commission. And I don't disagree. I think in the COVID aftermath, we have to do more to get to the root origin. We can't let this thing begin to fizzle out. We can't let it become a political football. We got to dig deep and we got to find out how this happened, hold somebody accountable if they kept information from the American public. And oh, by the way, how do we make sure it doesn't ever happen again? To the extent possible, how do we keep this from happening again? And what were the lessons learned? I mean, how many times in the military, if you've been in the military, did you ever have to do an after-action review? If you don't figure out your lessons learned, you know, three up, three down, lessons learned, then you have the opportunity to then just have to repeat it because you didn't learn. All right, you guys, major day. Boomer, we got I, – I, John from Huntsville's already said, Phil, you completed the triple dipper. You completed the dippers. I, I got an A-plus from John from Huntsville. Ooh, whoop, whoop. Play, play the camel on the way out, bud. Let's do that right now. Guess what day it is. <laughs> Guess what day it is. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Whoop, whoop. All right, you guys, congratulations for making it through a, a half a week. You're halfway to the weekend, and uh, Boomer and I back here tomorrow, too. We got a kind of a surprise for tomorrow. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, may have somebody guesting in the studio with me. That'll be interesting. I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. In the meantime, have an amazing night. Boomer and I back here tomorrow, too. We will see you then.
right side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. 